Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development and to products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations, while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello and welcome. On Tuesday, August 9th, President Biden signed the Chips and Science Bill into law. This legislation has a crucial provision which allocates $3.1 billion to help research organizations strengthen their capacity for technology transfer. These are the first government funds ever approved in the U.S. to support technology transfer. Once funding is appropriated, research institutions can apply for a three-year, $3 million National Science Foundation grant to support their technology transfer efforts. Today, Autumn Board Chair Ian McClure joins us to talk about the CHIPS and Science Act and what the next steps are for the technology transfer community. Ian McClure is the Associate Vice President for Research, Innovation, and Economic Impact for UK Innovate at the University of Kentucky. In this role, Ian is responsible for innovation, commercialization, the development of new businesses, and economic growth at the university, including industry partnerships, innovation training, and social innovation. Welcome to the podcast, Ian. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. So, Ian, wanted to spend some time with you today talking about the CHIPS and Science Act. And this new law is really pretty monumental, and it's going to reshape U.S. science policy in a number of meaningful ways. Uh, Not only does it support U.S. semiconductor production, it catalyzes research and development in many key technology areas, and it provides for new innovation regions in the country. In addition, the law provides for some pretty significant funding increases for NSF, NIST, the DOE Office of Science, as well as for STEM education. But first, Ian, I wanted to say congratulations. I know Autumn was very instrumental in helping draft certain sections of this law as part of its mission of supporting and advancing knowledge and technology transfer worldwide. This is a game changer, Lisa. This is, uh, we have not seen this kind of a, uh, an investment uh, in the innovation infrastructure here in the United States uh, in decades, uh, really since the 1950s. Um, uh, if you uh, if you look at the the depths and the breadth of this bill, I think a lot of people uh, across the sort of the consuming public um, have you know stayed um, just tangentially aware of this bill as it's moved through. But I think the common uh, takeaway is that hey, this is just about chips. Right. Just this is just about chips, domestic manufacturing. But it's so much more than that. Um, People had forgotten that this was really a revitalization and a reinvestment in our science and research and development um, uh, capacity here in the United States. So what we're so excited about, of course, is when we talk about research and development in the U.S., we're talking about uh, our research institutions and the in our in our academic um, research universities uh, and all of the fantastic research 
uh, and and development work that goes on um, in our laboratories um, uh, across the country uh, at uh, again at higher education institutions as well as research facilities. Um, and that's what has us so excited. So Autumn, um, of course, we are um, uh, cheersing at the moment to uh, a job well done on um, on advocating for this, on playing a role in talking to people about the importance of this, but also really just the importance of investing in technology transfer, right? This is transformational, not just for science, research, and development, but uh, for technology transfer. This is the, um, the most transformational piece of legislation that Autumn has seen related to technology transfer since the Bayh-Dole Act. And that's, there, there's no debating that. Um, this is the first time that our federal government has ever um, uh, authorized funding of technology transfer staff and patent and licensing expenses and things like that. Other countries uh, that we have benchmarked have been doing that for years. Um, but uh, in the United States, that just hasn't happened since the 1980 Bayh-Dole Act, um, and that is what has us so excited. There are um, leadership uh, within Autumn uh, played a role in um, in advancing the proposition that this should happen, having early discussions around this, um, the, the need to sort of fund this unfunded mandate, as we, as we like to say, uh, and then even just drafting um, early language that has become what is now Section 10391, uh, which is the Academic Technology Transfer Capacity um, uh, provisions of this bill. So yes, we're very excited. Uh, thanks for having me here to, to talk about this exciting kind of transformational moment for, for our, our profession. Yeah, I think this truly is transformational. And, and can you give us a, a sense? I mean, how long has Autumn been working on this? And when did discussion start? Because I think people don't realize that you've been working on this for quite some time. And it's it's a very long process. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, again, the most of the consuming public are only familiar with the chips aspect of this because for the last two or years or so, the media sort of caught on that this was a chip spill and started just calling it the chip spill. But um, dating all the way back to around 2017 and 2018, the Endless Frontiers Act is what started to make headway uh, through the Senate um, being sponsored by um, by uh, then um uh, new members of the of the Senate um, majority and leadership, uh, and that's when we started to catch on that there's an opportunity here um, for funding again, funding the unfunded mandate, if you will, of technology transfer um, within Autumn uh, and its you know its work in policy circles uh, for the last few decades. There's always been sort of a quiet conversation of hey, it would be great if you know. Um, uh, we could actually fund some of these resources uh, that you would love us to have so that we could do this uh, even more successfully than, than we already do. Um, but those conversations didn't really take shape um, in, uh, in, in a level of, of sort of seriousness uh, until we saw this Endless Frontier Act opportunity. So back dating back around 2017, uh, good friends of mine um, uh, like Mark Saddam and Oren Herskowitz um, uh, and I and, and Steve Suzalka started having conversations um, around this could be the vehicle where we could actually see um, uh, a natural placement of provision for tech transfer funding. Um, and uh, right around that time, uh, we got a small little group together. 
um, into like 2019, 2020, we started drafting what we called then the faster proposal, um, uh, which was a proposal to put uh, what we thought was a, a, um, a substantial amount of money for a two-year pilot to fund tech transfer. Um, and, and that's where it started. That faster proposal started to circulate um, with um, uh, uh, staffers uh, and um, other policy uh, makers uh, uh, and their teams. And then the, the, the conversations uh, really began from there between um, those policy drafters and uh, autumn leadership. Well, Ian, let's talk a little bit more about the law. And and we've mentioned that this is monumental legislation, not only figuratively, but literally. I've I've taken a look at the legislation. It's over a thousand pages in length. And and you've touched on one of the sections, one of the titles I want to get into right away. And that's Title Three, which is NSF for the future. And I want to talk about subsection uh, G, which is Directorate for Technology, Innovation and Partnerships. And and you mentioned the important section. 10391. Can you um, tell us a little bit more about this section, which is directed to planning and capacity building and why it's so important for tech transfer? Yeah, sure. Well, so first, what a day for the NSF, right? I mean, this is, um, uh, if there was ever a sort of a substantiation and a double down on the importance of our National Science Foundation, this is it, right? Um the NSF with its new technology innovation and partnerships, its new tip director, that's the first new director of the NSF in 30 years, right? And this is the first time that we have substantially increased the amount of funding um, that the NSF has to invest in our research and development capacity here across the country in key tech focus areas. Um, and so, you know, again, what a day for the NSF to, to receive not only um, a this new directorate to create this new directorate, but now have uh, real, you know, we're talking $20 billion of funding that are going to this new directorate. It's huge. Um, yeah. It's huge. It's, it's enormous. Huge. So within that, you know, so this section 10391 um, for planning and capacity building. Um, this is uh, quite, um, it's its hidden a little bit, right? If anyone was looking specifically for the academic tech transfer section, they had to kind of look a little bit. Um, but uh, within this 10391 planning and capacity building, there is a provision that sets aside $3.1 billion specifically for technology transfer capacity um, in the United States. Uh, and this is what has us so excited, right? This is, um, uh, again, the first dollar uh, to be uh, authorized for such uh, capacity building, uh, and we're talking 3.1 billion has been authorized uh, for over a five-year period to uh, fund um, uh, what we do uh, to support technology transfer. Uh, the language of, of 10391 uh, sets out that there would be um, uh, the, the, there would be a competitive grant process um, making eligible um, recipients of these funds. To, um, to receive a $3 million award over a three-year period. So we're talking uh, up to $1 million per eligible institution. Um, and then eligibility um, can fall under really three prongs, the first of which is the easiest, which is um, higher education academic institutions. Um, but then, then there's two additional prongs that sort of broaden eligibility uh, for access to these funds, which would be 
um, organizations that are affiliated with such a higher education institution that perform this type of entrepreneurial technology transfer work um, and or those in their community, um, entrepreneurial organizations that are affiliated. Uh, and so there's a little bit of a breadth um, uh, in the eligibility prongs beyond just the higher education institutions themselves. But really what they're trying to get at is those that perform academic technology transfer on behalf of um, or within a higher education institution. Um, this is this is money for you uh, to fund things. And again, to fund things like, you know, we're talking the the the, the core budget, the foundational budget elements uh, of our tech transfer offices, um, hiring tech transfer staff, covering patent costs, soft setting licensing expenses developing partnerships and supporting education and training of entrepreneurial students and, and, and faculty. Um, all of the things that, to be honest, are on average woefully underfunded and under-resourced uh, and not resourced at capacity um, uh, or to the capacity that we need uh, to, to, to advance innovations to market in the way that we, uh, that we could otherwise if uh, we had uh, resources at capacity. Uh, so this is the this is directly um, uh, hitting sort of the uh, the the gap right that that we need to fill in order to do this uh, even more again even more successfully than uh, the tech transfer um, professionals already do. Um, that is the first section of 10391. It's specifically funding technology transfer capacity. Um, the second section, though, the second program of 10391 um, is really more about um, establishing access to tech transfer and entrepreneurship uh, programs for those institutions uh, and universities and colleges uh, and community colleges across our country that don't currently have any such dedicated access or resources. Um, and the, the language for this program is called the Collaborative Innovation Resource Center. Um, and it's really just to promote regional technology transfer in a sort of a hub and spoke model. Um, uh, a great example of this is what is currently done. And, and, and we know this because as Autumn was having conversations around this, um, we actually proposed that this the model would be something like what we have in Kentucky with the Kentucky Commercialization Ventures Program, uh, which is a, a state-funded hub-and-spoke model. It provides a centralized mechanism for technology transfer resources for seven public universities and all of the community and technical colleges across the state. Um, and it's been a really just a fantastic program. Uh, and so as Autumn was talking about a an economical way that we could make sure that even the small um, teach first regional um, uh, comprehensive universities uh, and colleges and community and technical um, uh, colleges that they too could have access to these to these things. The economical way to do this is um, is again under this program as it's being proposed the Collaborative Innovation Resource Center. So I'm really excited to see that language in the bill in 10 391, um, and I'm also really excited to see how they design this program uh, when it's finally launched. Uh, and what it can do to provide uh, more inclusive access to tech transfer for institutions, smaller institutions that don't currently have such dedicated resources. Yeah, I think that was a really neat aspect of, of this legislation. And, and I think it'll promote regional economic development in places that just haven't been able to kind of develop that type of infrastructure. So I think it's it's really, really exciting. 
So, Ian, before we move on to some other sections of the law and talk about their impact on tech transfer, I did want to talk about some of the other subtitles in Title III just really briefly because they're directed to improving STEM education and research training. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on on some of these provisions. Yeah, sure. And so that's what's really so exciting here is, you know, um, this is uh, in this sort of science provisions part of this enormous $280 billion plus dollar bill, um, there's a double down on the importance of science, right? And as we look at the ways that science and research impacts our community, our society, um, there's uh, there's a need not just for you know federal funding of laboratory research at universities. There's a need for education, overall STEM education and workforce training that starts very early on, right in um, uh, in, um, in in uh, in in the education process for our students um, K through 12 um, before they even get into um, uh, into higher education institutions. So. The, the the Title III also, as you indicate here, includes um, you know STEM education and research training. It establishes new centers uh, to support translation uh, research um, to help scale up uh, again pre K all the way through twelve STEM education innovations. Um, it encourages efforts to align undergraduate STEM education with workforce needs. That's a really critical um, aspect here. The ability to cur- uh, create curriculum right in the K through twelve. Um, uh, 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 years that aligns with workforce development needs um, after that. Advances uh, policies uh, to fund uh, that training. I think the mentoring and professional development aspect of this is huge to make sure that there's ongoing um, upskilling uh, of our workforce in the STEM fields. Uh, so we're not just creating sort of talent density, um, but sort of talent flexibility uh, as well. I think it's really important. So um, all of that, and then a focus on doing that uh, in relation to some of the critical key tech focus areas, um, things like um, you know AI, artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, um, uh, really important areas that we know that um, as a nation that we have to be uh, competitive on a global scale, uh, and we can't just do the science to be competitive. We have to have the talent pool um, that is ready for the next generation of those jobs. Yeah, and keeping on this theme, uh, looking at another important section of this uh, new law is Title V, which is uh, continuing on this theme of uh, increasing STEM education. And and that section deals with broadening participation in science. And there are a number of subtitles here which talk about increasing opportunities in STEM, addressing inequalities faced by rural students in accessing quality STEM education, which, you know, you talk about uh, some of our uh, Native American students who have trouble um, getting quality STEM education, improving undergraduate STEM education, enhancing research capacity at HBCUs and MSIs, as well as combating sexual harassment in science. Now, there's we just simply don't have enough time to focus on all these, but I did want to talk about one of these subtitles in particular, and that's the MSI STEM Achievement Act. Can you talk a little bit about what the purpose of this act is? Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm glad you raised this one. This is one of my favorite aspects of the entire bill, which is, you know, just its focus on um, inclusive innovation. 
across our uh, across our country. If we're going to and and again, this gets this gets to doing this not just the right way, but the best way. If we're truly trying to be as competitive as a nation as possible for the future of the global innovation market, uh, we have to invest in diversity of thought, diversity of participation, diversity of ideas. So this um, MSI STEM Achievement Act. You know, does that we um, and, and just to be just to layer on top of this, there's you know the the it creates a new chief diversity officer for the NSF, um, uh, and so you know this this program uh, in particular it'll direct federal science agencies uh, and an office of science and technology policy to undertake activities um, to improve the quality of undergraduate STEM education at these MS, MSIs HBCUs um, includes tribal colleges and universities, Hispanic serving institutions. Um, um, this is this is critical work, right? Right now, the nation, uh, the nation's 100, I think it's 106 HBCUs make up just like three percent of America's colleges and universities. Yet they produce 25 percent of African American graduates in the STEM fields. You know, so um, that right there requires a double down of investment minimum. Um, on how we're providing access uh, and inclusive reach into the innovation process. Um, you know, more outreach is needed uh, to enable these MSIs and their graduates to fully realize this potential uh, to contribute to the STEM workforce, the overall innovation ecosystem. Uh, so I'm really excited about this aspect of um, of the overall bill uh, because it's critical that we do this, that we recognize the importance um, of inclusive uh, access to um, uh, to STEM, to science, research and development, and then the innovation ecosystem uh, ecosystem itself, all the way through entrepreneurship programs. Um, good stuff. Uh, really excited that that they included this aspect. Yeah, that is it's a great provision in the law. And and I think another provision I just wanted to talk about really briefly as well, because it is also very, very important work, is the subtitle that's directed to combating sexual harassment in science. Can you just talk a little bit about some of the key aspects of this subtitle? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um so this aspect establishes um a new NSF program to award grants for research uh, into factors that contribute, right, to um, the consequences of sexual harassment in the scientific workforce. Uh, it contributes to removing biases uh, based on these factors. Um, it convenes, uh, I think they're calling it an interagency working group yep. uh, to coordinate federal research agency efforts to implement these policy changes that are needed uh, to address sexual harassment. Um, and uh, it, it directs the National Academies to issue an updated responsible conduct and research guide uh, that addresses sexual harassment. Again, it, really important stuff. People forget about how um, how large of a of a field right research is, and how many people work in research, and how diverse uh, that re that that um, that field is and, and its participants. Um, and uh, unfortunately, right, uh, sexual harassment is uh, an unnecessary but um, evil part of uh, of the field that can be addressed. So, again, happy to see uh, this aspect of the bill and uh, some of the policy changes uh, and programs that will be enacted here. So switching gears back to tech transfer in and some of the important parts of the legislation that are uh, really meaningful for tech transfer the last title I want to ask you about is Title VI, which is miscellaneous science and technology provisions. 
And there's two really important subtitles in here. Subtitle C, which deals with regional innovation, which we've touched on a little bit already, as well as subtitle J, which deals with energizing technology transfer. So let's start with subtitle C, which is regional innovation, which directs the Department of Commerce to create 20 geographically distributed regional technology and innovation hubs in areas that are not leading technology areas. And these hubs are supposed to focus on technology development, job creation, and expanding U.S. innovation capacity. And there's, in fact, over $10 billion that's authorized for this program between fiscal year 2023 and 2027. So, Ian, what do you think these regional innovation hubs are going to mean for universities and tech transfer overall? Yeah, this is this is a huge aspect of this bill, something that I've been personally monitoring um, ever since the Endless Frontier Act was first proposed. Um, when the Endless Frontier Act was being drafted, um, it was um, it was being drafted at the same time that a number of think tanks were publishing kind of place based intervention or place based investment proposals um, uh, really to get at a strategy for U.S. innovation competitiveness, um, uh, and it was all centered around this uh, th- this idea, which is which is factual, that we have a positive selection to our coasts of not just research funding and research activity uh, and entrepreneurial activity, but the but the talent, right, uh, and capital that that follows uh, that funding and that activity. Uh, so you know the 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 over. Um, uh, the overwhelming share of our innovation ecosystem is in really five or so innovation super centers, um, all aligned with our coasts. Um, and so the 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 purpose of this regional tech hub um, uh, program, as it was being designed, was to really just democratize our innovation landscape. Um, again, from the the thinking that by creating new innovation hubs, uh, we will be getting a larger return on our investment than continuing to just invest in our five or so innovation super centers, um, which I think is absolutely accurate um, because we need to catalyze the amazing innovation that is happening all over our country and then to reverse some of that positive selection just to a few areas to make sure that we're democratizing the talent and capital flows as well. Um, So the program creates, um, uh, it it authorizes $10 billion uh, to create um, at least 20 new innovation hubs or regional tech hubs uh, across our country. Uh, And these regional tech hubs will be geographically distributed um, and not placed in what is currently um, uh, described as an innovation uh, center, right? So these will be new, uh, creating new regional tech hubs. they did this. Uh, they, they ensured the geographic distribution, Lisa, by creating um, these EDA office regions. So they they aligned the the design of the program with the six EDA office regions, and they mandate that there will be at least three hubs uh, in each of the six EDA office regions. Um, I think that's a that's a um, just a really smart way to to, to ensure the the geographic distribution uh, of these hubs. Um, and, uh, and you know, that also ensures that there's going to be a democratization of the funding flow uh, to create these. If, if, the, if the entire country or the tech transfer space thinks that the NSF Regional Innovation Engines Program, which is currently out for uh, response to um, 
the BAA has the entire country sort of, um, uh, you know, up in a tizzy right now. Just wait till <laughs> yeah. this regional tech hub program exactly. is announced, which is, you know, just do the math, $500 million per hub. Um, and, you know, it, this is, it's fantastic. It's fantastic for our, uh, for our economy. It's fantastic for our regional landscape um, uh, to compete for dollars like this. Uh, and there's just, there's amazing innovation going on uh, at, in places uh, across the country that I think will really be catalyzed uh, by this investment. Uh, so yeah, exciting for tech transfer, right? Um, the, the the NSF engines um, program, uh, the first NSF tip program to be launched, um, has really placed a uh, a central role for tech transfer uh, in the, um, the the grant process, right? And uh, they wanted tech transfer offices to to play a role in the in the proposal development process. In fact, the NSF tip team. Uh, uh, organized and and reached out to Autumn to organize a uh, a meeting with tech transfer leadership across the country to help design that program. Well, we can expect the same thing here with this regional innovation um, uh, hub program, because as as we have seen, uh, the NSF TIP team and the EDA um, Department of Department of Commerce folks present on numerous occasions. They view the regional uh, innovation engine program as a complementary yet um, uh, a, a earlier part of the spectrum um, than the regional tech hub. So there should be some relationship between them. Uh, the regional tech hubs are thought to be kind of um, a later point of maturation, right, of these regional innovation engines. Uh, so um, just just really an exciting time, right, for um, uh, for our innovation landscape across the country uh, and the way this is going to catalyze um, all of that activity between the coasts. Yeah, and speaking of catalyzing activity, the last uh, subtitle I wanted to ask you about is uh, Subtitle J, and that deals with energizing technology transfer. And uh, this subtitle has a couple of different parts to it. Uh, one part authorizes a national clean energy incubator program a university prize competition and coordination of technology transfer programs within the Department of Energy. It has another part which authorizes programs to support the commercialization of technologies developed at national laboratories, and it facilitates partnerships with these labs. And then the last part authorizes programs to modernize activities at DOE. So I think, Ian, similar to Subtitle C that we just talked about with respect to these regional uh, innovations, this uh, subtitle for energizing technology transfer is going to create a, a lot of additional opportunities as well. Yeah, nope, totally agree, Lisa. You know, when we talk about the country's technology transfer capacity, uh, we can't only talk about academic tech transfer and the universities. We have to also talk about the national laboratories. Um, tons of of research and and quite active tech transfer um, uh, uh, groups uh, at those laboratories. The the Federal Laboratory Consortium, which is um, uh, a a partner uh, with Autumn in the way that they manage um, the the professional developments uh, of the people that that perform the tech transfer uh, at these laboratories uh, and create a network. Uh, for them to benchmark uh, and share best practices. Uh, they do a really good job with that. The, the Department of Energy uh, has been one of the most active um, uh, agencies uh, of any of them in advancing tech transfer best practices and ensuring um, uh, collaborative um, and um, and progressive 
ideas to uh, to take shape as they as they try to move, um, you know, federally funded inventions um, at these laboratories into market. So it's no surprise really to see a focus on DOE technology transfer capacity uh, and especially around clean energy um, here in this bill. And, and, and to be honest, I'm, I'm excited to see where this can take their capacity as well. Yeah, that's going to be fascinating to watch. And so, Ian, we've been talking about really how transformational this new law is for science and tech transfer. And as I think listeners can and appreciate, it's really a, a huge step forward. But I think we do have to talk about how the law currently authorizes the uses provided, and it doesn't yet provide the funds, which are known as appropriations. So there's still quite a bit of work that needs to be done here. So what can Autumn members and anybody who just loves science and wants to see uh, us continue to innovate and, and move forward here in the U.S., what can we do to help make sure that these uses receive the allocated uh, appropriations? Yeah, so I'm glad you raised this, Lisa. Um, it's an important component to remember here that what has been authorized does not necessarily mean it's already been funded. Um, and so we still have to get through a second step, which is the appropriations step of the funds that have been authorized. It also means that what could be appropriated may be less uh, in terms of sort of the, the the maximum amount of money that's been authorized, we may see less than 3.1 billion actually appropriated um, uh, to fund this section uh, 10391. Um, but nevertheless, right, just the authorization step itself is a game changer, right? We have never had that before. An authorization is here to stay. Uh, uh, so um, it's been signed into law. Uh, and so uh, appropriations is something that happens in a cyclical manner. Uh, and we may have multiple shots at this if we need it uh, to get the funds appropriated. With that said, the, the, the work is not done. And so importantly, auto members, I would I would encourage all auto members to um, talk with their institution as as their institutions are providing uh, thanks uh, and gratitude for their um, representatives on the Hill uh, for uh, for enacting this. Make sure that they include a thank you um, for the planning and capacity building section, uh, section 10391. Um, and also make sure that they remind them that, hey, that's just been authorized. We still have another step here. Uh, so have conversations with your government relations representatives, whatever you can do um, to get in front of them and just make sure that this stays on their radar, right? That the appropriations for the NSF uh, for that section 10391 is something that they can continue to have conversations with their staffers about um, and just see what else can be done uh, to provide an endorsement uh, that the appropriations happen here in this next cycle, uh, which would be ideal. Well, Ian, thank you so much for taking some time today to discuss the Chips and Science Act with me. Uh, if any of our listeners have any questions or concerns about the act, who do you suggest they contact? Well, I, I'm an open book. Feel free to contact me with any questions uh, about um, how they can get engaged, how they can help Autumn uh, in this process. Um, they can reach out to Steve Suzaka, the CEO of Autumn, uh, and frankly, any Autumn staff. Uh, their contact information can be found on the Autumn website. Um, we'll, uh, the, the staff will make sure to direct any of the questions to the right person uh, to answer. Um, it's an exciting time. I'd encourage lots of open conversation and communication about this. 
Uh, again, the work is not done, uh, but we have passed a, a transformational step here in having this authorized. Um, and it's, you know, it's a fun time to be in science and research and developments and especially in tech transfer. Yeah, it definitely is a very exciting time, Ian. And thank you so much again for all your time and talking about this new law with us today. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for having me on. Always enjoy it. Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and align on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.